another very special episode of Worth It or Worthless. I'm your host, Dan, and today I'm talking with the head of business development at Night Dive Studios, Larry Cooperman. If you guys are unfamiliar with Night Dive Studios, they're a studio that specializes in bringing retro games to modern platforms. Some of the stuff they've worked on include Turok 1 and 2, Doom 64, System Shock Enhanced Edition, and they're currently working on a remake of System Shock, as well as some other things. Larry is an industry veteran that I met at a local game development group. He's got a lot of interesting experiences and a lot of interesting things to say, so I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. And for anybody that hasn't heard, Jordan was recently injured, so he's currently recovering from surgery, so that is why we have this interview for you today. Hopefully in a couple weeks, the podcast is going to be back to normal, but in the meantime, this is what we have for you, so I hope you enjoy this interview with Larry Cooperman. show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Larry, you are the head of business development at Night Dive Studios. What exactly does that mean? And how did you get into that role? Okay, that is a a great lead off question. Um, So um, before I begin, let me uh, let me let me give you one of my favorite quotes. It's from an old Ian Fleming, uh, James Bond book. Um, uh, James Bond explained about being a spy that uh, it reads better than it lives. <laughs> um, and that's that's kind of kind of what my uh, my role is like. Um, so uh, I, I, I started in the gaming world in 2001, back when there were still towers and you know the world trade center was still standing in new york so february in 2001 i um i joined stardock and they uh they lured me in um with a promise that you know come work at stardock in livonia michigan where it's always sunny and 72 degrees um <laughs> that uh, that clearly was not the case but right. uh, i said um that you know when i was when i was offered the job that i it was it was very different from what i had done before i was more of a an enterprise you know software and and hardware sales guy um i said i was going to try it for a while and uh, and that while lasted for 11 years Wow. First deal that I did was um, I found a publisher, uh, Take Two, for the corporate machine. That was back in 2001. Um, okay. Later on, I would you know help with the deals for um, Galactic Civilizations. Um, we uh, we worked with uh, a company that shall remain nameless, a, a publisher that uh, seemed to have some some issues making payments um, <laughs> back back in those days. Um, that was back when you know when when the majority of games were sold in in boxes mm. off of off of racks at. Uh, Best Buy and Electronics Boutique, and you know, yeah. of course, of course, GameStop. Um, so again, I, my my uh, career there spanned eleven years, and during that time, um, Stardock was was a real innovator in the sales of of digital games. When our publisher screwed us, um, we were able to rely on the sales of games that we did ourselves because we had this this electronic sales um, channel. And that that really that really was very important. So, kind of writ large from from this this negative thing that um, that uh, you know electronic sales, uh, digital sales was kind of the way forward. Um, in two thousand and eight, I took over a role uh, for Stardock's um, Impulse, 
which was, I, I guess, probably the shorthand is to describe it as a, as a steam competitor. Okay. And um, I began signing up publishers for, for our platform. And that was a, a tremendous opportunity. And I really want to thank, you know, Brad Wardell and the team at Stardock for, for uh, entrusting me with that. I got to work with, you know, pretty much every company in the games business. Um, I used to say my, my client list went from Activision to ZeniMax. Wow. So that was cool. In, in 2011, that division of Stardock was sold to GameStop. And, uh, and I joined the, the team at GameStop as a business, business development manager for, uh, for PC Digital. And during the, the next two years, um, I would continue working with, you know, the, the big publishers, but also we had a real focus on, on indies. And um, at, at the end of the time there, we'd had, had almost 600 clients for about 1,600 games. Wow. Um, and my role in that was um, to negotiate and to ensure the signing of, of every one of those contracts. And things that I got to see see happen at that time, um, you know, I got to see the, the launch of Humble Bundle. Um, the, uh, the guys at, at Humble Bundle, the guys that formed Humble Bundle, the, um, the main team in that had, had previously worked at Wolfire Games, and um, they were actually a client of mine on Impulse. Um, we were their uh, their their first publisher, first digital publisher. Steam wouldn't take their game title. I I can't remember what what it was, but Steam wouldn't accept it until uh, we signed it up for Impulse, and um, that that was you know it was, it was really great. Uh, got to got to meet a whole lot of people, and and that was what I was doing. I was um, I was negotiating contracts. I was making sure that you know the people were happy. Um, that that I was you know dealing with problem resolution, and um, at the end of that time. Um, GameStop decided that um, that digital really wasn't the way forward. That um, that that <laughs> brick and mortar was was going to come back strong. Yeah, <laughs> um, that was uh, that was before the the stonk investment in it, and um, and so my 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 entire division was was lopped off, including me. So I, I wow. there I was. Uh, I found myself, you know, with this this uh, this industry, you know, veteran. Um, without a job wow i was uh you know considerably older than uh than, than my peers um applied to a number of tier one likely companies and was uh was turned down mm. um, by them i did some consulting work i helped uh helped launch you know some of the some of the, the, the companies that, that help developers today but that that wasn't it wasn't fulfilling it was it was paying the bills yeah but it, it wasn't fulfilling fulfilling my needs. And, and I really, really wanted to get back to a company that made things. Yeah. And uh, at that time, I, uh, I decided that um, maybe I wanted to move to Portland. You mm. know, I, I kind of embraced that whole, you know, keep Portland weird thing. Now, I will tell you, <laughs> I, had, I had only been to Portland once at, <laughs> okay. that, at that point, but I thought yeah. that might be a, a cool place to, to go and live. Um, so I started down, uh, you know, I did a, a Google search of um, game development companies in, in Portland. And um, Night Dive Studios was, was the second one that bubbled up in my search. Okay. And I contacted, uh, I contacted Steve Kick um, over there. And Steve had, had founded the company um, the year before. So Night Dive was founded in 2012. And here I am cold calling him in, in 2013. And... Uh, we hit it off 
from from the moment that that we started talking. Yeah. Um, our interview was not done in person; it was done over Skype. You remember Skype? Yeah, it was, it was what what there was before there was Teams and Zoom. Yes, and, right. And um, anyway, um, we um, we did the the interview on there, and uh, you know, Steve kind of had to, to 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 make this decision. I mean, here was this guy that was literally old enough to to be his father, and you know, was this going to work out? I mean, having having you know having having your your dad as as part of your company, you know, that that kind of thing. <laughs> But uh, you know, it's it's a funny thing working with people that are um, that are young enough to be your kids. Um, they keep me young. Yeah, you know, I, I I like to think that that they get something from um, from you know my experience. But but I learned so much more from them. And you mm. know, we're we're in a world that that they invented that you know I didn't. So yeah. Um. So I went from you know Stardock to uh, to GameStop. Um, to Night Dive Studios. And what I do primarily at Night Dive Studios, we identify IP that, that we want to get. Um, you know, Night Dive's mission is to, is to bring back lost or, or forgotten games. It started out when Steve couldn't find a legitimate way to play System Shock 2 yeah. on, his, uh, on his netbook um, somewhere in Central America. Um, that, that's actually <laughs> the, the, the beginning of that story. Wow. And, and the good news is you can now play you know, System Shock 2 um, where, wherever you are, um, <laughs> right. a legitimate copy. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we couldn't solve the problem easily, so we just had to buy the IP. Oh, man. How did you get into the games industry to begin with? Like, were you a gamer growing up? Was it just kind of you tripped into it, had some friends in it? Like, how how did you get here? 1991, I bought my first Windows PC. I can't say it was my first PC. My first PC was a brand new, fresh out of the box Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. With a uh, 300 baud modem and a cassette player that played the instruction set to use your modem. Okay. <laughs> um, good times, good, good times. old days, yeah. Yeah, you could you could you could look for anything you wanted on the internet as long as it was uh, a text file on a white background. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so um, so the you know the, when I, when I got that PC, um, I I have a, almost a sense memory of the the first time I played Wolfenstein 3D. Okay, and uh, and when I realized that it was my hand holding the gun. Um, that was something that it just it just flipped my sense of perception. Yeah, and uh, I said I, I want to do this. Um, okay, I had had a whole career in in accounting. Um, I had you know my my beginnings with computers were uh, you know big iron, mm-hmm. uh, Unix not Linux but you know Unix um, monsters, you know and, and those weren't uh, a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and then when I played my first game in a PC, and again, you know, Wolfenstein was not the first game, but it was the first one that that just really stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, I want to, I want to be part of this. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. I remember my first game was Super Mario Brothers, and from that time, I, I believe I was four years old when I played it. It was just like this obsession, <laughs> which has now manifested me as a thirty-something making a retro game podcast and talking about this stuff all the time. Um, um, Night Dive's uh, unofficial motto is um, it's better than a real job. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. 
but uh, that's that's interesting. Um, so it sounded like you were working on early digital distribution. Yeah. Now, is is this pre Steam? I don't know the history of Steam. So but... um, it, it's a um, uh, to to paraphrase the the Grateful Dead, it's a Buck Dancer's choice, my friend. Um, whether <laughs> whether Stardock, um, you know, came out with with our early digital platform, Stardock had been doing digital games through what was called Drengen, um, then that that's an allusion to the the race in, in galactic civilizations. Um, but um, we started we started doing publishing of third party titles at at around the same time that you know people forget that that Steam was originally um, a better user you know user interface, so you didn't have to type in the IP address of the Counter Strike server that you wanted to play on, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was, you know, Steam didn't start off to become, to be a store, but it, it rapidly be, became a store. Yeah. So Stardock was, it was about the same time. Um, whichever one came first, there, there was, uh, there, there wasn't much, um, you, know, you could slide a piece of paper between, between the, the two starting dates. Okay. And did you guys, at the time, was it like digital distribution is going to be an obvious thing in the future or was it just a convenient addition into physical retail so so remember that stardock was a, a software company right so mm-hmm. we had um we we had the object desktop suite of software you know applications you know window blinds and um a desktop x you know back in those days you know we, mm-hmm. we had that was was all was, was digital first and then we we you know adding games on once we were, were our games division began spinning up you know it was just 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 made sense Okay. Again, digital distribution back in those days as a platform, it was it was a whole lot different. Um, you know, it was it was a means of giving you the serial numbers of giving you the keys to unlock the software. Gotcha. So it wasn't necessarily like it is today, where of one of your first ideas, I want a game. Do I want the digital, or the retail copy? Um, I'm going to a storefront. I'm just downloading it onto my account and so. Not so if quite there's the anybody. Same. If there's anybody in the audience that remembers the the bad old days about retail stuff, um, let me uh, let me throw out a couple of words that that don't have any relevance, you know, in in today's modern world. Um, <laughs> marketing development funds. Um, that's what you had to pay the stores to put your games in a place that that um, that someone would see them, and you had mm. to go and you know the 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 publish or no publish decisions were being made by um, by the buyers at Walmart. Mm. Um, so if you think back to to what it was like in the old retail box days when there was only retail box, yeah, there was a, a hell of a lot less games. Um, you certainly didn't didn't really have that that choice. You know, um, your your choice was which store do you want to drive to to go buy the game and, and hope yeah. it was in stock, and. Uh, you know, there were a lot of a lot of titles today that I, I'm just going to use, you know, maybe an old-fashioned word, I'm going to say are, are quirky. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm going to tell you, major games that, that we have out today would, would never have made the cut. Yeah. Um, nobody would ever have given, you know, Stardew Valley yeah. uh, a shot, right? Um, of course. Go, you know, go yeah. ahead and try and explain that. Um, you know, you might have had, <laughs> you might have had, you know, you might have had Animal Crossing, and yeah. you would have, you would have had, you know, Call of Duty. They understood those games. Yeah. But when you're you're talking about about something that was, you know, a little bit offbeat, 
you wouldn't have had that. And certainly near and dear to my heart, you would not have had the retro gaming fix. Although, you know, our games mm -hmm. sell very well on limited run. We love working with those yeah. guys that make the retail boxes. But if we had not as an industry transitioned over from physical only to a mix of physical and digital, there'd yeah. be a whole lot less titles and no one would talk about indie game companies. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I remember in about 2008, it's probably Castle Crashers was the first time indie gaming ever was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, there's people making games that are like the games that I liked growing up, but, you know, the Super Meat Boys and all that stuff. So it's yep. interesting. Um, and and on, that, on that note about the, the, the games that you like growing up, um, you know, we, uh, we sailed into, into some, some headwinds. You know, when, mm -hmm. when, when Night Dive started up, um, I, I don't want to say that we, we created the, the, the retro gaming thing. I mean, certainly, <laughs> uh, certainly, you know, uh, the, 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 a lot of, a lot of credit goes to good old games yeah. and, and the team over at GOG.com. Um, but you know, my, my work with them, I mean, when I was at Stardock, um, we uh, we brought you know total annihilation back from mm -hmm. from the dead. Um, you know it was a project that we did under a license from Atari. Um, but you know we we were restoring that kind of stuff. When you went to to the mainstream people and talked about about you know reviving classic games, they weren't about no 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 no. Somebody yeah. already did that game. No no it's mm. it's in the five dollar bin at our stores. Yeah right. And and if you were talking about doing a modern version of it, they thought you were crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Um, and, and I think that segues kind of nicely into what, what night dive is, what they're doing. Um, what, what, what kind of games have you guys resurrected from the dead? So the, the beginning of night dive was when we got the, the deal originally to, that allowed us to publish but it did not allow us to to own. I mean, we we just were just able to to take the original version of it and make it playable on modern yeah. systems of System Shock or System Shock Two. Yeah. And of course, you know, our our much of our focus. I mean, one half of the company is uh, engaged right now in filling out you know the System Shock universe, right? Mm -hmm. So we have System Shock uh, Enhanced Edition, System Shock Two Enhanced Edition. We're working on a VR version of uh, of System Shock Two. Oh wow! Um, and uh, you know, of course, we're doing the highly publicized um, remake of System Shock. Yeah. Um, for anyone in the audience um, that's that's listening, any rumors of the death of that project are highly exaggerated. <laughs> um, it, it's going very well, and you know we've been wish listed over three hundred thousand times on on Steam for that. You know, Steam alone on that. Wow. Um, and that's going to be that's uh, going to be be a major release for us. Um, so we we do those kinds of games, but we also bring back you know titles that are important. But that that aren't as mainstream as that. I'm very proud yeah. that we got to work with Harlan Ellison directly, and you know, now with his estate on "I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream." Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's that's an important title for for a number of reasons. Um, of course, we've we've had a, a ton of success with um, with Turok and Turok Two, mm -hmm. um, and those were games also. You know, back about passion projects. Those were games that I, I played with my son when he was growing up. Yeah, um, we've we've resurrected other old acclaimed titles, including mm -hmm. um, Forsaken, 
yeah. um, Forsaken Remastered is is still still one of the games that that I laugh out loud when when we play. Um, so so there's that. Um, recently released Shadow Man um, through a mm-hmm. licensure with uh, with Valiant, the, the remaster of that. We have um, a remaster of Blade Runner um, in the queue that's that we're still okay. working on. That's in process now. Um, so you know what we do is we look at titles that are are meaningful to the general public. Yeah. Um, we look at at games that you know that there's a lot of buzz about. If somebody's saying you know we wish that these would come back, mm-hmm. um, we also look at um, at games that are are important to us. And fortunately, Night Dive has has reached that level where companies you know come to us or we work in yeah. partnership with companies um, that, that come back and say, hey, we, we'd really like you to do a, a new version of this to update this. Yeah. So we did we did Blade, uh, we did uh, um, Blood for Atari, uh, mm-hmm. Blood Fresh Supply. Um, again, one of the most, one of the most difficult, um, frustrating, um, I'd say uh, tear your hair out, but that doesn't really apply to either of us. <laughs> right? Uh, um, you know, one of the most one of the most challenging games to play, but man, is it so worthwhile! And every time yeah. you get killed, you just want to start another another um, episode. Yeah. And then and then we did uh, we did Doom sixty four for yeah. uh, for our friends over at Bethesda. Man, yeah, I played a little bit of uh, a Doom sixty four yesterday to kind of prep for this, and uh, I can actually count on one hand. Um, I, I might be a little embarrassed to say, but I'm not sure. I can count on one hand the number of times I've played Doom. Um, and so, like, yesterday, hopping into Doom 64, it was like, okay, I think I, I, think I could play more of this. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the, the folks over at, I, I guess we should now, I mean, it is, is part of Bethesda, which is, which is part of ZeniMax. Um, mm-hmm. They have been absolutely great to work with. And um, it's really interesting when you, when you work with that company, um, they have so many employees with, you know, with longevity that that's just unusual in the games mm. industry. Um, and, you know, you get to work with the people that um, worked on it the, the first time around. So very, very cool experience there. Yeah, it definitely seems like a cool game that I want to play more of. Um, you triggered another couple of, of things that I'm wondering about. Um, one is like, how do you guys pick which projects to work on is there a method to the madness do you listen to fans do you is it just stuff that's important to you and then secondly why is it important to restore these old games that those are those are great questions and i'm, I'm glad you you asked them um as as a, as a co-joined pair so there, there are a number of different factors i mean i i can't tell you one but probably the the primary one is we we do listen a lot to fans um, I wish I could um, take on every um, fan-inspired project. Whenever we announce that we're doing game A, there are, are almost instantly people mm-hmm. on social media saying, well, that's great, but how about B and C and D? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we're, we... Um, we, we do as many as we can. So we do listen a lot to fans. We look at, at, at a number of, of, of things of, of where, you know, where social media gives us a graph and say, well, there's, there's a lot of interest in that. But that said, then you go on availability. Mm-hmm. And, and in the old days, you know, a lot of the games, um, their, their provenance of who owns it or who owns what is, is complicated. Yeah. 
right? And and so, you know, there there are games that we would absolutely love to do. It it is an, an absolutely open secret, but everyone knows that that Stephen and I would love to get our hands on No One Lives Forever. Mm-hmm. Um, there there have been articles, and you know, um, it was it was just brought up to Monolith. Somebody said, "Hey, Monolith, how come you don't let you know Night Dive do it?" And, we're 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 continuing to work at that it yeah. uh it may be the quest for the for for our, our holy grail there um but it is complicated and there are multiple mm. companies involved in that so um so there's that so you know so let's let's look at the factors so the first one that i would say is 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 you know very much driven by by fans and and what feedback we get from the community um the second one is is availability we we mm. there there're just some games that we'd love to do but we can't do um the third one that that comes into play is what resources are available so when you, you when we sign the contract and we go through this process and we sign the contract to do a game, the first question that comes up is, is the source code available? Mm-hmm. If the source code isn't available, that doesn't mean that the game can't be done. Yeah. That just means that it's a lot more complicated than it would be if we if we had the source files. Mm-hmm. So you kind of touched on another question that I had about sort of the complications of bringing games forward. You know, like... Yep. What uh, what makes licensing so complicated, and what is it like dealing with these publishers? You know, like for example, Scott Pilgrim versus the World was a great game that a lot of people loved. It got delisted, and then it seemed like for years fans were like, "Bring this game back! Bring this game back! Bring this game back!" And it's like, got to got to got to give salute to our friends <laughs> over at Limited Run on that one. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. They they did a lot of work on this. So there's a lot of detective work first. The first question is who owns it, and that mm. question is not trivial. Right. Let's uh, let's take our time machine back to the the way the dark mists of time of the 1990s. <laughs> so um, a lot of a lot of the contracts, a lot of the paperwork was never digitized. Mm. Um, this is a, a quote that I used I've used before, but. I'm old, so I get to repeat myself. You know, sometimes finding the contract with these companies is like the the, the last scene, you know, of uh, of the Indiana Jones movie where, where they 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 put the um, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, into into a box mm. and it's stuck up on a shelf somewhere yeah. in a in an enormous <laughs> room full of similar yeah. boxes on similar shelves. Um, we do get into that, you know, of, of what it's worth it to send a lawyer down to go, you know, through the through the mm. boxes and and find the mildewed paper. Then then some of it was was just lost. Yeah. Um, you know, companies went through transitions, um, acquisitions, and who kept track of the old stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's you have to untangle that part. Then when you when you get into um, Dealing with the companies, when I started at Night Dive, companies were a lot more hesitant to commit any resources towards reviving a retro game because mm-hmm. retro gaming wasn't a thing. Yeah. <laughs> fast forward, you know, fast forward all these years later. Right. And and they recognized, you know, through the through the work of 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 some some pretty big companies, um, they uh you know they they recognize the value in these games certainly the monetary value in mm-hmm. these games yeah for sure but um 
even when even when you get there, um, you still have to you still have to define a, a, a model that compensates them for for giving you the rights to to do all this work on the game, right? Yeah. Um, so you you may you may very well sign a contract that. Um, that they say, well, we're going to take X percentage of the money from this game, but we're not doing any of the work. And mm -hmm. um, good luck finding the source code yourself, because you know we're we're not that that interested in it. Wow. Um, or they just don't have it, yeah. or things didn't end well, you know, um, yeah. with with uh, the developers. I mean, you know, there 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 are a whole lot of different scenarios. So mm -hmm. once you get through the contract phase, then you go to the the asset gathering. Mm -hmm. And um, and we do spend a lot of time buying old games up on on eBay and um, going through your back wall of collectibles back there <laughs> in case there's some that we've missed. Um, and you know, so so we do have the capability of taking a, you know a retail version of the game. Um, and I'm not just talking about a PC retail version of it, but mm -hmm. an N64 or a Saturn version of the game. Oh wow! And um, and extracting the assets. Um, wow. Well, this game had a different, you know, had a, had had different levels. There was there mm -hmm. was more content, etc., and so forth. So. Those are some of the challenges that we face. Um, see my earlier comment about uh, it reads better than it lives. Yeah. So how long does it, uh, the average project take you guys to do all that I, stuff? I, 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 I dread that question. I knew it was coming. <laughs> I, I knew it was coming. Um, I, um, I have yet to find the game that is defined as the, as the average one. <laughs> wow. Um, so it, it all depends. Yeah, so anything um, from a few months to years, you're saying? Yes. Wow. And um, and and we have to be careful. I and mean, people do not realize um, the complexity of it. Yeah. We did an interview regarding one of our tells. It was it was Blade Runner, and I'm not I'm not vilifying anybody in the press. I, I understand. I know what we said, but I also know what they heard. Mm -hmm. um, we um, we we said that that working on Blade Runner that that the reverse engineering of it was more challenging than we had thought at first. That there mm -hmm. was a, a whole lot of complexity. And think back to you know what you would have been doing if you were making a game in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, Flash. Sure, we can use that. It'll always be around. Right. <laughs> of course. You yeah. know. So so there's the file there, but um, it's only you know it's it's only playable in a deprecated version of Flash. Good luck wow. finding that, yeah. right? Um, so you know we we said that, and what they heard was that the game was going to be delayed. Well, mm. it's a policy at Night Dive that we we never say when the game is going to be ready. It'll be ready mm -hmm. when it's ready. Yeah. But people don't understand the complexity of it. Yeah. We have had people say, you know, um, all you, all, all you, uh, you, you know, you had to do was get the retail, that old retail version, and slap a fresh coat of paint on it, mm -hmm. and away you go. And it's like, yeah, that retail version was made for Windows three point one. Yeah, um, <laughs> man. The original System Shock didn't have mouse look in it. Um, okay. um, you know, so so that was uh, that was a bit of a challenge, right? Yeah. Um, uh, 
And again, you know, it depends on, on what the goal is. I mean, our our goal now, you know, originally we started out as a, as a PC game company, but mm-hmm. now we're, uh, we're spread out across um, basically every variety of console that, that there mm-hmm. is. Um, you know, so we're, we're, we're writing games for, for PlayStation. Well, do you mean PlayStation 4 or 5? Oh, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> yes, both. Yeah. Um, and, you know, are, are, you know what, what Xbox are you talking about? And um, you know, even PC, is this going to be uh, a GOG-only title or a Steam title? Or, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of complexity to it. Yeah. Um, so is there something, one of the questions that I kind of had in my head, um, because some of the, the, sometimes in our community, we're like, well, if Nintendo would just bring N64 games to the Switch online service, if they would just do GBA, like a lot of the times us gamers are like, don't they like money? Like, is there anything that you see as somebody behind the scenes that just <laughs> kind of drives you a little bit crazy uh, about what we just don't understand about how all this stuff works? Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of things. Um, um, this, this is a quote that I, that I had from from an earlier interview, and it's something I said spontaneously, but I think it it um, I think it really is true. Um, first of all, what features do you want in the game? Um, mm-hmm. Do you do you do you require you know things that were add-ons like oh I don't know being able to use a mouse or remap your keyboard <laughs> buttons? Right. Um, do you want uh, do, you, do you when we when we bring the game to uh, when we bring the game to Xbox? Would you would you like us to enable controller support, or are you good without <laughs> that? Right? Um, um, you know, so so there are those kinds of things. But but um, the other part is is you know we really look at these as I, I didn't answer the question about why this stuff is important. Yeah, and it's it's important because. Without that historical continuity, you're never going to know where 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 cool things came from. Mm-hmm. What inspired, you know? Well, what what if we uh, what if what if we if we do a mashup of uh, of a you know, first person shooter and a role playing game? You know, what if mm-hmm. we do? Um, without that historical context, you know, you're going to be missing things. But on the other side to it, you know, we we're we're looking at modern hardware. Um, you know, these games weren't made to support widescreen monitors. Yeah. Because they hadn't invented them, right? You know, you were you were you, you were happy with your fourteen-inch, maybe fifteen-inch CRT, mm-hmm. and uh, and you were you, you know you were glad to have that. Um, yeah. So you know, so so that's one thing. But um, the other thing that comes up is when you start, you know, sometimes we we get to work with the original developers, and mm-hmm. um, and someone will say, you know there was this thing that we would really have wanted to do, but the hardware wasn't out there to support it. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm going to, I'm going to point to you to one specific. So if you played Turok in the, you know, the original form, when it first came out, um, the thing that characterized Turok more than anything else was the fog. Mm-hmm. And the fog was uh, a necessary factor to the game because they wanted to have a lot of detail and the hardware just could not support that level of detail at mm-hmm. long distances. Yeah. So the fog cut down those distances. Well, our version of Turok lets you play with either either the the fog on as it was mm-hmm. in the original 
or off so that you can see the the full because because the hardware can support that now you can see yeah. the full grandeur of the game um we use you know ai for for up a lot of stuff mm-hmm. sometimes we'll go in and uh and again in our, our prior conversation i had mentioned this um sometimes we'll look at features that were in the pc version and features that were in the n64 version that were different maybe mm-hmm. maps were different maybe and we're going to say why not both so now right. you you you've now got a porting thing um again that quote that, that comes back was um in the games development world the longest journey often starts with the words you know what else would be cool <laughs> of course and and we all are gamers so yeah. so that you know what else would be cool really resonates with us mm-hmm. um you should be able to play any game on on any platform and uh and use you know any kind of combination of hardware right yeah um, for that's, sure. that, that's, that's the goal there. Um, while everybody agrees that that's a, a kind of cool goal, it, it just is, is hard and it takes time to, to reach. Um, the other thing that I will, uh, I will tell people is that um, there is a process for every one of the, of the platform owners. And when I say platform owners, I'm talking about, you know, the Xbox, um, Sony, PlayStation, Nintendo, mm-hmm. um, even on the PC, you know, you've, you've got you've, you've to jump through a certain number of hoops. And those are not bad things. Yeah. Um, but you've got to jump through a, a number of hoops um, to, get, to get there. And, uh, you know, so, so that process is, is time-consuming. Um, if, I, if I tell you that getting the green light from, from a provider for your game can take up to 14 weeks. Wow. Three months. Um, <laughs> that, that your Goodness. fans are going, when are you going to ship it? And you're like, yeah. as soon as they give me the green light, you know, right now they're, uh, they're telling me that there's something I have to fix. And some of the, some of the things are, are the way that, that they want it to be done. And some mm. of the things are, are break fix and some of them are, are kind of obscure. So then with it being such a, an interesting process, like where do you, do you guys draw the line as far as what features kind of make it into these updates and creating more work for yourself? Is it a lot of it's practical, like the widescreen thing? Like I played Doom 64 on Xbox One and it ran in widescreen. It was like, Absolutely. oh, yep. what a concept. Like, of yep. course. Um, but something like, I think you guys added teleportation to previous portals in Turok or something like that. Or, you know, I, I'm looking at a list. Of, I wrote down some of the stuff. Like, you had a keyboard and mouse support for Doom 64 on Xbox One. Yeah. I don't know if that was in there originally. It was, um, uh, considering the fact that uh, the Doom 64 was an N64 exclusive. Was it? I didn't yeah. know that for sure. I assumed, but I didn't 100% yeah, yeah. know. No, no, no worries. Um, and and I, I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to say it sarcastically, but, you're, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, those are things that, that yeah. we added. Um, so I will, uh, I will tell you, um, I will, I will tell you how the process generally goes. Our, uh, our developers work 24 hours a day, um, eight <laughs> day a week, yeah, um, of course. working on the project for months at a time, um, <laughs> in, uh, in dim light with, with only a single piece of coal to warm their chambers. Um, of course. If you're cold, then overclock your PC. That'll make it warmer. <laughs> um, um, go faster, and they they uh, they will work at it and work at it until um, I come in and uh, I say, "Yeah, that's great, but uh, ship the damn thing." <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Oh man. Uh, jokes aside, though, about Night Dive, uh, how many people work at the studio? I mean, how do you guys manage all this stuff? Um, it seems like you guys just looking at sort of your Wikipedia page of stuff that you've released. It's like, how do they do all this? So you know? um, we have 40, um, 40 uh, developer employees and uh, a bunch of elves that we don't talk about because we okay. need issues, <laughs> you know, but we, we pay them in Keebler, so they're all right. Um, <laughs> no, we, have, we have 40 employees um, literally spanning the world. Okay. Um, the, the furthest distance that we have is um, our uh, multiplayer um, guru is based out of uh, New Zealand. Okay. And our uh, QA manager is in Stockholm, Sweden. Um, you could have two people further apart, but they would need like one of those Elon Musk spaceships to achieve that. Um, <laughs> um, it's really funny because um, sometimes they'll be chatting and it's different days because of that, you know, international dateline. <laughs> um, um, so um, one of the advantages of being a completely distributed company is that we we can hire people that feel the way that we do. We hire a lot of people from, shall I say, the community, mm -hmm. um, people that are retro game enthusiasts. Yeah, um, for whom every project is a is a passion project, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we don't have to say, well, yes, but you have to move to San Francisco or you have yeah. to move to you know. Um, to to you know, North Carolina or um, or mm -hmm. Las Vegas, so that that gives us a real big advantage that we we hire the the right people. Turnover at Night Dive is very low. Yeah, um, you know we hire people that um, if they weren't working would be doing the same thing only they wouldn't be getting paid for it. Yeah. Um, so so there's that. Um, how we manage them. So we use uh, we use Discord for okay. our um, internal chat. Um, we also you know have have used Slack for for much the same thing. You know, working with other partners, but Discord um, works well for us. Um, we also use we also use Discord for our community management. So mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of a, a one stop shopping thing. Um, we use, uh, you know, we use Notion now. We had used Trello um, for a time for our, our project management, and and the the two rules at Night Dive are that you're always going to be working on two to three projects simultaneously. Okay. Um, that is not an easy thing to do if you're a developer. Yeah. Um, but but we we do that. Um, and and nor is it easy for you know for for the, the admin team and we're very admin light um we don't you know we we it, it's it's basically the the core people we just have you know who we need mm. um on there so so there there aren't a, a whole lot of suits in the place yeah um and uh you know we we have embraced i mean we knew from the beginning that we were going to be an online only company Mm -hmm. um, distributed company. Yeah. And so we've, we've worked out that tool set on there. Um, and the, the other part is that we've, we've got some, some very, very talented people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I don't say that, you know, lightly, but we have people that, um, I would say probably, probably 50%, that number might be low. It might be closer to 75% of the people that are on board now 
are people that said uh, that came to us and say, "Hey, um, I'm a developer, and I just played this game of yours, and I really mm-hmm. loved it. Are you guys hiring?" So you said each developer is working on two to three projects at a time. So, like, how <laughs> are they all working on the same two to three projects? Does the studio have twelve projects going on? Does the we studio have, uh, have forty projects going on? Like, what's we, we the have- range of? <laughs> We have we, we probably we probably have eight projects in various stages oh, of completion at, at any one time. Um, the System Shock remake gets about about half of our our okay. staff and probably probably more that focus. That is 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 a horse of a different color because yeah. we're remaking that from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And I, I do want to give a, a shout out. Um, we've had um, great relations and great support from um, both uh, the the team, the Unreal team at Epic. Mm-hmm. And um, and also um, working with NVIDIA, um, you know, DLSS made a dramatic improvement in the game, um, but they have been also a great partner to work with. Um, speaking of the System Shock remake, uh, I had heard of the System Shock thing around, but uh, I didn't know a whole lot about it. I had heard that it inspired this other thing called Bioshock. Um <laughs> That <laughs> Bioshock was a spiritual successor, and uh, so I checked out the demo for the System Shock remake on Steam, and I was like, "Oh, this this very much <laughs> feels like a Bioshock game." Uh, can you speak to that at all? So, so there are, um, uh, you know, System Shock, um, System Shock influenced uh, a whole lot of of titles from mm-hmm. that era. Um, and and let's also bear in mind that for for reasons not related to the quality of the game, but but issues of timing, um, you know, a couple of different things. Um, the System Shock was not it was not the commercial success that it should have been. The the, mm. the game was is was good enough, and and we're we're hoping to bring that back and make it accessible to a whole generation of players. Yeah, there were a lot of really, really talented people that came out of uh, the old studios, in- including uh, Ken Levine, mm-hmm. um, you know, who, who uh, worked on, on Shock 2 and then went on to do the, the Bioshock games. A um, couple of things in the gaming world. Um, everybody watches what everybody else does. Yeah. I don't know how many people realize it, but um, everybody in the gaming world plays games. Yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um, I don't know if Bobby Kotick plays games. I don't know. I mean, we don't right. we don't talk a whole lot about that. Um, but um, but but you know, developers do, and 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 are influenced by. I mean, everyone has been in meetings, some mm-hmm. good, some bad, where where the lead comes in, the designer, the you know project owner the ceo comes in and says i played such and such this weekend and that had this killer feature mm. i'd love to add it into into this game yeah so so there is a lot of a lot of influence and a lot of give and take yeah it's just i was surprised like when i was playing system shock i'm solving the puzzles and i'm yep. you know fighting these security cameras and lowering the security level and i'm like oh man <laughs> I didn't realize like how much this was going to be like a Bioshock game. And I'm like, color me intrigued. <laughs> well, it, it, it is intriguing. I mean, and there, and there are a whole lot of, I mean, uh, I, you know, I'm limited in what I can say, but, yeah. but, um, but certainly uh, the cyberspace aspect of it um, 
and there's there's some great videos to see you know what we're going to be doing what we're, we are mm-hmm. doing with uh with the cyberspace how we reimagine that um that also is, is something that i think people are going to get a real kick out of i i hope that um that our game will be in in some small part as influential as the original was yeah I hope so, man. It seems like a cool game. Um, are you guys planning on bringing it to consoles, or is it PC only? We are planning on bringing it to consoles. It will be okay. on Xbox and PlayStation, and um, uh, we're also looking at uh, some of the other streaming platforms. Okay, cool. I did see the Steam page said summer 2021. Is that still the, the target release date for it? Or... <laughs> So remember at the preamble where I said that that there are going to be certain questions. I'm going to I'm going to say uh, can neither confirm nor deny. Okay, all um, right. That's one of them. Um, I will I will tell people um, our biggest concern um, is that when you play the remake of System Shock, whether you have played the original, whether you're a classic games fan, whether you've played games that were inspired by it, that you will go, holy, (laughs) um, (laughs) um, that that we we want it to be that level of quality. This was a game that not only, you know, can we talk about the historical influence on it, but it was personally important to, to members of the team. Yeah. So, our biggest concern is not how quickly we can get it out, but how good it will be. That's good. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, I think it's as as a fan of games, it's always frustrating to hear games get delayed, but uh, well, it's probably for the best. <laughs> we uh, we did an interview a while ago where where the, the the topic question was, you know, how did you guys, you know, um, how did you guys decide to be work for home? And and Steve Kick said, you know. When we, we founded the company, we we didn't anticipate that um, 2020 would bring us a global pandemic, mm-hmm. um, social unrest, um, and, uh, and and economic collapse. Mm-hmm. And yet here we are. Right. Um, so we've been uh, pretty fortunate, and again, it's it's part of the consequence, part of the benefits about about being you know work from home. Um, mm-hmm. We have had. I believe two employees um, that were that were impacted um, by COVID. Okay. Um, I mean, and and one was unfortunately what you know what they're calling now long haul. Um, mm. um, you know, even after the physical symptoms were gone, the it, it was a, it was a difficult situation. Um, that said. Um, things that have impacted, you know, we we do outsource a certain amount of stuff. Well, when your outsource company ha- calls you up and said, you know, that thing that we said was going to be done by a certain date, mm-hmm. well, it's going to be three months later. That impacts everything. Yeah, oh, for sure. One of the questions that I had initially was, you know, what has changed since you started at Night, Night Dive versus, you know, today? It, you know, it's interesting. You guys were fortunate to already basically be working remote as a studio. Yeah. Uh, what else has sort of shifted in the the games industry, the the landscape well, since that time? The I, I guess I can no longer call them next gen because they're they're out. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're current gen consoles. Yeah. Um. There's there's a layer of complexity, um, in supporting those. Okay. Um, when Night Dive started up, uh, there was no Switch. 
Yeah. Um, so that was that was something to to be added. Um, I, I alluded to, and I don't mean this to be a teaser, but um, I'm watching pretty carefully. You know, the streaming technologies, um, mm-hmm. both both uh, Google Stadia and uh, Amazon's uh, platform. Okay. Um, we're we're interested in those. You know, it's one of our goals is that people can play our games. You know, anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the original problem that the, that the company was started to solve. Yeah. That you know Steve couldn't couldn't get a legitimate copy of System Shock Two. Yeah. Um, you know something that would run on a, on a current you know PC. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so you know that landscape is is always changing, and you have to be fluid about that. I don't know what the the next mega hit console will be. I don't know you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but whatever it is, we'll do our best to support it. Cool. So then talk like real quick, just talk to me about you mentioned the reverse engineering process. You kind of vaguely alluded to it. Yeah. What is the the tech side look like? How do you guys go about? Uh, t- tell me, talk to me about your engine. Does it just spit out PS5 files? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how um, do you? <laughs> Like what is this? So, so Night Dive, Night Dive owns. We have our own proprietary engine that was mm-hmm. developed specifically by um, Samuel Kaiser Villarreal, um, who's who's um, our lead engine developer. Um, the Kex engine was was developed specifically for the porting of games, but okay. when it was originally developed, um, it did not certainly did not spit out you know PS5 games because <laughs> there was no you know PS5. Right. Um, so we've we've continued to add to it that engine is under current development and always will be under yeah. current development. <laughs> of course, um, what whatever is coming out new will will support that and whatever challenges and problems are, are caused by you know by trying to trying to adapt some of these these uh, cool old games um, we're, we're, we're up for that challenge um, that gives us a, a great ability in working with with a game um, we get to a, a point in the development process where we say well Kex doesn't do this mm-hmm. and we kind of call Sam in and 24 48 a week later, a month later, <laughs> right. it does do that thing. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that's 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 a huge advantage in terms of the reverse engineering. Um, you know, we use a lot of commercial off-the-shelf products. Um, we have um, a real RE guru, Sebastian Reddy, um, out in Germany, um, who who really helps us. You know, to unlock some of that stuff wow. um what we need from the old games and just remember this we, we don't need their engine we need the assets mm-hmm. right we we need those assets and those assets are only going to be the the baseline for for what we're going to develop so you know there's there's up of of the images there's there's tweaking and, and it's extensive tweaking of the sound files because it was played with some you know primitive deprecated engine back in those days mm-hmm. um video is a, a whole nother challenge and we um we use a, a lot of of uh, open source software okay um for that um and uh, so far the results have been pretty damn good <laughs> yeah, I can at least speak to the Doom sixty four experience being pretty enjoyable. So I'm uh, I'm going to tell you, and it's not a commercial message, but I'm going to tell you, um, you know, Doom sixty four was was absolutely great, and it's 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 certainly up there with my favorites. But I have a a soft spot in my heart for for Tour Rock. 
<laughs> like it was so so innovative at the time, and I would yeah. uh, I would I would urge you to take a look at that. You know, if, even if you even if you're not willing to play it, or for people that are listening, please look at some of the videos that that are online. Um, uh, Digital Foundry did a phenomenal video on um, on our uh, on our Switch versions and comparing this, the current Switch version to the N64 version. It has a lot of side by side stuff, so you can mm -hmm. see what we did. Um, the hard part, and um, and I'm, I'm not sure how much time we have left. I see we're, we're just still over an hour, but um, the hard part for us, what we always like to say is that when we get done with, uh, with, with uh, working on a classic game, it doesn't look the way that it did back then because mm -hmm. you're not playing on uh, with yeah. that level of hardware, but it looks the way, it looks and feels the way you remember it playing. Yeah, oh, that's such a great way of putting it. Um, that's something I love. Like, for example, the Mega Man Legacy Collection allows you to play with a turbo speed computer. Absolutely. And it's yeah. Mega Man without the slowdown. And the slowdown is essential to some people, and they can play that way if they want. But I'm somebody who loves when I can, you know, play on an accelerated hardware and sort of it just feels good to me. Got, to, that, you know. got that cup of espresso at hand and, uh, <laughs> right. and you're ready to ready to speed run through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, 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 and we we appreciate that. Um um we uh, we believe that you know that that the customer is king and that mm -hmm. um you should be able to play it the way you want to play it. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Cause it's just like I don't know. It's one of the things that sometimes we harp on, like with Konami's collections, like the Contra collection, it's like, oh, there's no rewind feature. Take it or leave it. It's still like it's something that we've grown to like when we play these old NES games. You know, I just like yeah. to have rewind in it. Um, so it's, it's, I love hearing that you think I, the customer uh, I, is I king. hope one day to become um, wealthy and powerful enough that I can ignore my fans, but that, that's not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm going to leave that one alone because I could get on a soapbox <laughs> about that. Um, Larry, last last question from me. Uh, what does the future look like for Night Dive? Are you guys just continuing to do what you're doing or do you have like some crazy plans? You know, you've got your engine and all of a sudden you're going to develop your cloud gaming platform. No, like, no, we, we, we're, we're committed to, we're committed to yeah. the classic games where Night Dive in, in 10 years is going to look very much like the Night Dive of today, okay. only bigger and better and with a much younger head of business development. <laughs> um, um, uh, uh, I hope to be retired at, at, at oh, that point out to pasture um, goodness but uh you know th that that's what we, we we we're doing what we like to do yeah. um i've i've never understood people that uh that start a company that start a business with the goal of doing something completely different mm-hmm I don't want to sell lawnmowers. I don't care if I'm <laughs> if I if I be the the baron of the lawnmowers, but you yeah. know, we're we're a retro gaming company. That's what we want to do. the The good news is that in ten years, the hot new game that you're playing now is going to be retro. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be I'll be grist uh, for the mill at night. Dive. I don't know about that, man. For me, like I can't get over in my brain the definition of retro kind of stops at like ps2 xbox gamecube it's like i don't know if i can ever acknowledge xbox 360 games as retro or ps4 games as retro i'm just like uh. you, won't, you won't have to you won't have to the ones that are coming up behind you will, will, uh. <laughs> right right 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, years years ago, I um I uh you know I have I have a a, a predilection for um, the music of my youth, which was you know which was punk rock, right? Yeah. And uh, years ago, um, as I was uh, sitting in my office listening to uh, some Dead Kennedys, mm-hmm. one of the developers came in and, and heard the song and said, "Oh yeah, my parents like them." Wow. <laughs> Put me right in my place. <laughs> oh, man. Goodness, Larry. Uh, well, uh, Larry, would you like to share anything before we uh, we close yeah, up shop I, today? Um, I do. I do want to share um, just uh, just just uh, a quick note. Um, so the gaming industry has done has done really, really well over the, the past couple of years. Um, you know, I think last year the, the total revenue was something like $170 billion mm. um, for games worldwide. And that's, that's great that we're, uh, that we're making money and we're providing a, a living and, you know, for, for all of those people um, that, we, that we make products that people are, are glad to see. Um, the one thing that, that I would like to, uh, to urge my friends in the gaming industry to, to think about is what our social responsibility is. Um, mm. I, I mentioned... Um, I mentioned that I that I had the opportunity to work with with John Graham and the the Rosen brothers that uh, started Humble Bundle, mm-hmm. that has raised hundreds of millions of dollars for charities. Um, I've been um, working for the the past year f- with an organization called Beyond Barriers USA mm-hmm. um, that helps bring people out of extremist organizations. And I, I would just like to encourage people in the gaming industry, whether I shouldn't even say the gaming industry, the gaming ecosystem, whether they're um, fans or or game companies or mega millionaires that that own you know AAA studios, um, to just be more responsible. It's just mm. uh, just remember and, and be grateful and give something back to the people that got us there. Yeah, on a practical level, Larry, what is what does that mean? Like what? What? How do we do that? So, um, well, buy games from Humble Bundle. Okay, um, that's that's a thing you can do. Mm. Um, there are a number of organizations that that help people. You know, one of my, my heroes is Steve Spawn. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly at, at Able Gamers. Okay, um, that's an organization that um, brings brings gaming to to people that would otherwise have a hard time with that. Yeah. Um, support organizations that that support those people. Um, you know, just that that level of responsibility. Just be aware that that there are um, people out there. And the last thing I would tell people in in the audience, um, you know, gaming fans is um, developers need love too. Yeah, and uh, and we we say stupid <laughs> shit on Twitter sometimes. That's what Twitter is there for. Yeah, and um, <laughs> you know, let it pass. Um, mm, um, yeah, you know, um, it, it. We don't have to win every battle, and and sometimes the victory is just saying, yeah, he was probably tired, and give somebody <laughs> a chance to, yeah. to think about it again. So, there you for go. For sure. All right, Larry. If people want to know more about you or know more, know more about Night Dive, where can they uh, where can they find out? Um, we're on social media. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Although I will tell you, probably the less you know about me, the better off we both are. <laughs> um, I uh, also um, have been active in uh, the IGDA, and and you'll see me on the volunteers page for Beyond Barriers USA. Okay. Um, uh, those those are all all good places, and you know cert- certainly uh, nightdivestudios.com. 
Cool. Well, Larry, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you agreeing to do this and uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you. And, and you're, you're very welcome. Um, with, without journalists and without um, fans of our games, there would be no gaming industry. And I'm, I'm, I remember that every single day. So. Thank you, Larry. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I hope you learned something. And thank you again to Larry for giving us the opportunity to do this. If you like Bioshock, I'd highly recommend you check out the System Shock remake demo that's available on Steam. I think you'll like it quite a bit. We should be back in two weeks with your regularly scheduled podcast where we'll be talking about NHL Hits 2002. In that episode, we'll also have a July bounty winner for you. And speaking of bounties, we do have one for you this month. This month, we are giving away a $35 North American Nintendo eShop code. And in honor of our three-year anniversary... Uh, we are this month's uh, this month's entry is going to be to let us know an opinion that we had that you didn't like or a time that you disagreed with worth that are worthless, um, just something <laughs> that you didn't like that we said at some point. Um, you can send us a DM on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. We are at WIOW Podcast. You can also find us on Discord. The invite link is in the description along with the bounty rules. And just for chatting on Discord, you can earn extra bounty entries as long as you submit a proper bounty entry. Uh, We will accept entries until the end of August the 31st. And then after that, we will announce a winner in a September episode of the podcast. Guys, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you in the next one.